When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Hello, happy Monday. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast, providing a little football-shaped light relief to everything else that's going on in the world right now. I'm Jim Salverson and on today's podcast we're going to be talking about Project Big Picture which is a proposal from a few select clubs in the Premier League that could be the biggest shake-up to English football since the formation of the league itself. But is it a power-hungry land grab or is it a way to financially secure the less fortunate clubs in football? We'll be casting an eye over the new proposals very shortly. We're also going to be talking transfers again because the window for top flight clubs might have closed, but they're still able to bring in talent from the lower leagues, the championship and below. And there's some interesting rumours there, including a potential big money deal for West Ham, which aren't words that normally go together. And today's floodlight focus, we are going to be focusing on Arsenal Football Club. The Gunners are under the spotlight. We'll talk about everything going on in North London very shortly as well. Oh, plus we need to talk about Mauricio Pochettino because it's been 11 months since he left Tottenham. He was sacked by Daniel Levy, but could he be about to make a return to football with one of the biggest clubs in the world? We'll get onto that shortly as well. And we'll get onto it in the company of Nama Korn. Good hello. morning, Niall. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> and Marley Anderson. <laughs> hello, guys. How are we doing? Right, so let's talk Project Big Picture. This is an idea that's been drawn up by Liverpool and Manchester United as a way to reshape the future 
of football in the UK. The idea is that the big clubs from the league, uh, the the long-term shareholders, as it's been termed, that's Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, Everton, Southampton and West Ham, apparently they're the big clubs, would have a controlling vote in terms of what happened in football. But in return for that... 25% of all future finances secured by the Premier League, we're talking money like TV money, for example, would trickle down to the lower leagues to help support the football pyramid. Now, I'm going to start with you, Niall, because as a Portsmouth fan, you've probably got more affiliation, more fondness for the lower leagues than myself and Marley, potentially. Something that can potentially support those clubs that are struggling, and 25% of Premier League revenue is by no stretch of the imagination, a small amount of money, that's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? Well, you say that, and I'll admit there are plenty of good ideas in this project, big picture, but I am massively, massively against this. I'm not a fan of this whatsoever. It's no surprise that the EFL chair, Rick Parry, who is the ex-Liverpool chief executive, by the way, has praised Liverpool and Manchester United's efforts to go behind the backs of those other clubs in the 92 to try and cook up this idea that Premier League clubs will be the saving grace to those down the pyramid. And why is it happening now? Well, I'll tell you why it's happening now, because it's happening under the guise of coronavirus. Mm. It's a disgrace. I mean, the Football League, the way it is, it's a democracy. Manchester United and Liverpool are no doubt are a bigger club than Huddersfield Town. For instance, to use a quote that Rick Parry said yesterday, he said, why should Manchester United have less of a say than Huddersfield Town? Why should Southampton, who have been in the Premier League for a considerable amount of time, have less of a say than Huddersfield Town? Well, I'll tell you why, because it's a democracy. It's the same reason why my vote counts the same as the Prime Minister's vote or the Queen's vote, because it's a democracy and that's the way football should be. Huddersfield Town, for instance, was a poor example for Parry to use because they've won more league titles, more top flight titles than the majority of clubs that you see in the Premier League right now. Why should West Ham United and Southampton, two clubs who are considered now institutions of the Premier League, both of whom have been flirting with relegation for the last couple of years, West Ham have been up and down over the last 20 to 25 years of the Premier League, Southampton always finished 17th and just scraped staying up by the skin of their teeth. Why are they considered an elite club? The the Football League is an institution, it's 132 years old, and the telling factor here is that this was leaked And this was actually released earlier than it should have been. The Premier League are against Mm. it themselves. As wonky as their judgment has been in recent times, the Premier League are against this idea at this moment in time. Well, it's no surprise that the Premier League would be against it because ultimately it's taking power away from the Premier League and handing it to these clubs. But you, you you say it's a democracy. It should be a democracy. This it, this isn't a country. This isn't a government. This is a business, and it's. I guess that's kind of like that's kind of like saying that the CEO of Marks and Spencers should have the same say as what happens in the company as the guy who works on the shop floor, isn't it? The Premier League is a business, but it's not. It's an institution. It's 132 years old, and we've always done it this way. Now, the only people who agree with it are lifelong fans of elite clubs. It sounds like you're in agreement with it, Jim, as well. Or I dare say armchair fans, those supporters that support Manchester United and Liverpool and Chelsea and Arsenal and Tottenham that have never been to a game in their lives, that only perceive their football through the medium of a television lens. This project, big picture, it's not a big picture at all. It's a short-term fix 
under the veil of COVID-19 to dupe struggling football league clubs into believing that the big six Premier League clubs are their knights in shining armour, they're coming to save the day, when in fact, in the long term, it's just a power-hungry move from those clubs who are already omnipotent, by the way, and they no doubt want to seize even more control than they've already got. It is a masked pathway into also introducing B teams into the Football League, which would be an absolute disgrace. I mean, imagine it. West Ham Reserves or Southampton Reserves against Huddersfield. How can that be considered the right way to go? I mean, talking about club prestige, Huddersfield have won three top flight titles in their history. Southampton have won none. Southampton have won no league titles. So I'm sick of this nonsense about how we should pander to Premier League teams to improve the national team as well. I mean, we, reached, we reached the semi-final of the last World Cup. We regularly qualify for tournaments without losing a game. And just this weekend, we beat the number one ranked international side in the world. So we don't need it. It's a complete fantasy that young Premier League players aren't getting enough game time. Look at the England under-21s, for goodness sake. I mean, if this happens, it is a step closer to European Super League, which I've mentioned multiple times on the podcast in the past. It's the way things are going anyway. I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that the Premier League top six will break away and form a European elite, almost like a, a, a Champions League on a league basis. It will be a year-round Champions League. It's absolutely inevitable to me. There are some good ideas in this plan. I will not deny that. But if the government, this government, are calling you out for cooking up backroom deals then you really have misread the landscape, in my opinion, <laughs> because this is football's equivalent of in the Bible, where the serpent tempts Eve to eat the fruit off of the tree of knowledge, I think it is. So it might seem like the saving grace at this moment in time. But if Project Big Picture is a footballing pyramid controlled by the biggest clubs in the country, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want my club Portsmouth to be a part of that. I mean, it might seem like a good idea now when everyone's hard up, but in reality... It is the vested interests of the gluttonous against the few under the veil of COVID-19 to try and get the best benefits, best benefits for them. The timing is horrendous. If, you know, this current financial climate, they can afford this bailout, then what's what have they been hanging around for? They've been trying to cook it up so it suits them best. The pyramid is broken. The football pyramid is broken. I've said it before on the show. There's no doubt about it. It needs a fix. But why should that be at the benefit of the chosen few? I, I just can't understand it. I can't. I cannot see how any true football fan would consider this as a good idea. If you've not been to a football league game, perhaps you might not understand as much. But certainly, it just doesn't feel like the right way to go about it for me. I have to say, actually, I'm in pretty much agreement with you. I think there are some really nice ideas within the proposal. But what concerns me is what the intentions are of Liverpool, Manchester United, who have drawn up the plans and the other clubs who would be included. I think... There's some great ideas in there and I think the trickle down, everyone wants to see the trickle down from TV money and whatnot into the lower leagues and the current proposal would include a £250 million bailout which would be delivered now but then uh, guaranteed against kind of those future payments. But what really concerns me about the proposals is the control that those, what is it, six, eight clubs is it? Those eight clubs would have. And it's they can control things like the spending restrictions placed on other clubs in the league. And what worried me particularly about the proposal was they'd have the power to veto new owners coming into clubs right across the league, which essentially, I mean, you look at your club, Marley, and the takeover that almost happened. Potentially, these if someone else came in to purchase Newcastle to turn them into a footballing superpower, even within the Premier League, they'd have control to be able to go, well, we don't think that person should take over that football club and thus 
turn. I, I guess it's kind of when you look at what happened recently and some of the Manchester City fans complaining about FFP, it's kind of a version of what City fans claim FFP was there to do in terms of restrict the growth of other clubs and prevent them challenging at the top table. Yeah, I think I think you um you hit it pretty sweet there, Jim, with your you know, saying about the the eight clubs that are how can they be I I just don't understand how can you give a smaller amount of clubs power and expect them not to have ulterior motives or or sort of um behind the back agreements type type of things. They can't be impartial for any decisions going forward. It's it's one massive sort of ongoing conflict of interest with every decision that would that would come their way because as you mentioned, Newcastle are looking at this isn't just a, a point of let's all feel sorry for Newcastle by any means, but if you take them as an example, they are looking to get new owners in in um, the coming years, hopefully the short term future. The club's been up for sale for for years and years now, so you can expect that to want to go through. But if that if that goes through and lands on the um, lands on the desk of of West Ham, Liverpool, Man City, that kind of thing, and they're going, these new owners have got literally billions to throw into this club. Then how can you expect them to say, yeah, that's fine? Like because West Ham, for example, if they're on the board, are going to be thinking, well, if they have a bit of money, they're going to leave us behind in in the league table. They're going to get you know, better players that we can't get and, and probably finish above us. Man City are going to be looking at it thinking, they're trying to do what, what we tried to do. Um, and even though we got in there before that drawbridge sort of closed to the elite, um, we don't really want it to happen to someone else. So why, it just doesn't make sense to me how you can run something like that. It's a bit sort of totalitarian for me. Like it's all a bit, you know, it just I just can't see it working. The the one thing the Premier League has got going for it is that it's it's impartial. Um, I know it's not doing a very good job in recent years, and there's uh, the EFL is is even worse. But the one thing they are is impartial, um, or they should be anyway. And decisions are set with parameters, and whether them parameters work or not is another another matter. But they are. Uh, they are there to be sort of abided by, and I think if if you're going to Man City saying or Man United saying, you know, we want to bring in this type of sponsorship and uh, help our finances this way, they're gonna be like, well, mm, is that gonna benefit everybody or is that gonna just benefit you? And is it gonna detri- be detrimental to our our chances? I just don't think you you can't be fair to everyone if not everybody's in, involved but you can't have everyone involved because you've got promotion and relegation every year so it's not like you can have a team with no promotion or relegate a league with no promotion or relegation and give the 18 or 20 teams a, a shared power because it football has worked like that and then you would kill the pyramid and that's the opposite of what they're trying to do so you have to give it to a limited number of of um, members of the top flight but by doing that, you create a, a hell of a problem going down the line because I don't think you can ever be impartial. I think that's it. You need to have impartiality and you need to have fairness in sport. You can't have a referee that supports one team, as we have seen many times, with people hurling accusations of bias in that kind of area before. What are the good things then? You said, no, there were things about this proposal that you supported. Other things that have been put forward as part of this is reducing the Premier League teams from 20 to 18, scrapping the League Cup 
the community shield being scrapped as well. I don't think anyone's going to miss that one if it goes. So what are the positives from this? Is it just the fact that there would be a trickle down in terms of finances? Well, I think, yeah, you've, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there with, with how you teed that question up with, you know, the... the Doing a lot of nail hitting today, aren't I? Well, yeah, you, may, you know, you're building a shadow <laughs> for that, Jim. Um, yeah, you've, you've, you've got the right idea there with the abolishment of the, of the League Cup. It's been around since, I think, the, the 50s or 60s. And you know, it certainly seems to have lost a, a little bit of its charm. Manchester City fans seem to love it. Um, that's because they win it every season. But apart from that, no one else seems to be too keen on it. The Community Shield, although it's supposed to be the first kind of showpiece event of the season, it is very much being labelled as a glorified friendly. So getting rid of those things um, certainly are of a of a benefit to most of the Premier League clubs. And I'm sure that the fans as well will agree that, mm. you know, if you, if you keep the cup competitions just to the FA Cup, then um, I think that will increase the the focus on the FA Cup. I think it'll make the FA Cup more competitive, which is the right thing because I think that is a historical competition with equal standing in terms of um, its prestige as the Football League. I mean, it's as old as the organisation itself. It's one of the oldest cup competitions uh, on earth. It might even be the oldest and the most traditional. So yeah, I mean, if that increases focus on the FA Cup, that's a good thing. And as you mentioned before, 25% trickle down, would be great. Um, however, I don't see why this 25% trickle down can't be amended in a way in which we don't need to change anything at all. Why, why does it have to be, we change one thing, but we want this in return? Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't quite be like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, there are, there are benefits to it. I mean, I, I, I just don't agree with it. I just don't think it's the right time. And I didn't think I'd ever feel myself agreeing with a government minister at this moment in time, particularly in the current climate. But Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden said yes uh, earlier today, he said, now is not the right time. The challenge facing football is ensuring particularly the EFL has the resources to enable its clubs to survive. This still does not command support throughout the Premier League at all. Now, yeah, I, I think that is that is the key. I mean, there are some good ideas here, but as I mentioned before, it's just kind of a sweetener, a tempter, to entice EFL clubs into suggesting that this might be the right way to go. Because in the short term, all these EFL clubs are looking at is keeping themselves afloat. And we will see more than one or two clubs go under if fans are continued to uh, be locked out of stadiums. Premier League clubs don't have that same worry, at least not to the same extent anyway. Um, when people talk about what clubs have lost, when people say, oh, we've lost this much, especially when you hear Premier League clubs coming out and say, we've lost 800 grand a month or whatever. That's lost revenue. That doesn't mean you, you're making a loss of 800 grand a month, just to use an example there. It's lost revenue. It's revenue you would have had, but you don't have. It doesn't mean you're actually making a loss per month. So the difference in the EFL is these clubs are making losses per month because their only revenue source is match day tickets. So I think that, you know, 25% trickle down would be great. But how would that impact the quality of the Premier League as well? I mean, people, I saw someone earlier today mentioned that, you know, if we get rid of Sheffield United versus Burnley and Brighton versus, um, you know, Brighton versus Fulham or whatever, then it would make the Premier League a better competition to watch. Is it Marley? I just, I, it might have been mine, to be fair. <laughs> but I, I just I, I just don't understand. I mean, the parachute payments as well, 100 million paid to the FA to make up for lost revenue. Um there are some good ideas in there, but just it, it kind of feels that the timing of it, the sheer arrogance of it to come out with it and say, well, we'll give you this, but we want this in return. Mm. Like it's not, it's not deal breaking, it's bullying. 
they're trying to bully the EFL into accepting something, knowing that they're in a financial corner. They've been backed into a financial corner. They're trying to bully the EFL into making this decision. They're trying to bully the rest of the Premier League clubs into making this decision. I mean, nine clubs given special voting rights on certain issues. As you mentioned just there, if, if, if one of the big clubs vetoes the idea of Newcastle coming in and getting um, special fund, uh, a new owner, for example... I mean, how will the Newcastle fans feel about that? There'll be absolute uproar. They've been trying to get rid of Mike Ashley for season after season after season. Say this comes through, eventually new investment comes into the club and someone from West Ham or Southampton vetoes the decision. Like, I mean, what? I mean, can we... I can't get my head around it. So, yeah, there are some good ideas. Um, I quite like the idea of, uh, like, a championship playoff uh, and the bottom place Premier League team having a playoff with the championship playoff winners or whatever that was that's quite a nice idea they do that in Scotland but you know although the Premier League and the pyramid does need a shake-up I just I just still can't see how this is the right way to go there are positives but for me the negatives outweigh them it does seem very much at the moment that the proposals have been met with negativity but that doesn't necessarily mean they're off the table because as we've discussed the big Premier League clubs tend to have the power and if they want something chances are they're going to push it through Another thing that is designed to help lower league clubs is keeping the transfer window for Premier League teams to be able to bring in Championship and League One and League Two players. That's remained open. There's a week left of that and there's some interesting transfer deals that might yet happen. So we're going to talk about that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to look at some of the transfers now that might happen over the next week. The transfer window is open for another five days, plus potential return to football for Mauricio Pochettino very shortly. We'll talk about that. But first, let's start at my club, West Ham, who are trying to sign Brentford's Said Barama, which has been on the cards for pretty much the whole of the window. Looks like he's going to be available for around £20 million, £25 million if you include all the add-ons and whatnot, and Brentford like an achievable add-on. They like something that's a bit more realistic than maybe Champions League inclusion for West Ham or something like that so we'll call it 25 million pounds decent deal Marley do you reckon for a very promising player very talented player in the championship uh yeah in in today's day and age I think 25 million is about right for what you pay for someone coming out of the championship um I think Ben Rama is probably head and shoulders the best player in the championship in terms of his his attacking output his creativity is is fantastic um is is sort of is is physicality. If you think about that league, um, it's very physical. You know, skillful players a lot of the time uh, get smashed out of it. You know, a big centre back will go through him and they'll be a little bit shy. But he's he's never shy. He's, he's always he always wants the ball. He's always trying to take people on and create chances. And I think that can only be good for West Ham. They've obviously looked at him, um, dilly dallied on a deal for six or seven weeks or whatever it is and decided to make the move when the uh, mm. when the window is still open just for domestic deals but if they get him then fair play um i think he's he's certainly going to improve the squad i think he he can nail down that number 10 kind of role at um, at west ham and now they've got um felipe anderson off the books in terms of his wages and things like that then 
um, it'll be a nice little uh, nice little addition if they can get it through, which uh, you would expect in the coming sort of, what is there, four or five days mm. left of it. So they should get it through and it should be a good move for them, I think. In terms of bringing in a player, I mean, it was only a few weeks ago that David Sullivan was chatting with a, another sports outlet to a certain Scottish journalist about how the club don't need to have any wingers brought in, any attacking wide players because they've got 154 on the books or something along those lines. So it seems like a strange move that the 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 one deal that could happen this window for West Ham is going to be for a player that they claimed to have already a wealth of options in that department, Niall. Do you, does it feel like this is kind of placating the fans who have been so angry about what's happened during the transfer window? Well, I think they've got to do something because, as you say, the fans are absolutely up in arms about the way the transfer window's gone for West Ham United, and rightly so. You know, the, you look at the way that last season went for the Hammers, where they basically just about stayed up thanks to, you know, a loan signing from Slavia Prague of Thomas Socek, who scored a couple of goals and kept them up, in my opinion. I think him and Antonio, the two biggest performers in those last few games of the season to really help West Ham stay up. And mm. I think the key to this is the fact that West Ham don't have a director of football. They've got a manager who is arguably out of date at this moment in time, who hasn't really lived up to the heights he hit at Everton, which is coming up to 10 years ago now. And they've got no scouting network. And I think this is very much a sign in down the pub where you go, oh, that Ben Rama's looked decent in the championship in the two games on Sky Sports I've seen him play this season. Um, <laughs> why don't we go and sign him? And it feels exactly like that. And, you know, could there be a more West Ham United transfer than trying to burgle Josh King away from Bournemouth for 13 million quid the other day as well? You know, so it, it does feel to me like this is a sign in to try and, as you say, placate the fans. Wherever he ends up, Saeed Ben Rama, he is going to be an exciting signing. Whether it will come off or not remains to be seen. But as you mentioned, you know, it does make the owners look a little bit foolish when they say, well, we've got enough wingers and then go out and sign a winger. But I just think the issue for West Ham is, is that lack of structure when it comes to business, that lack of structure when it comes to the transfer mm. market. And you cannot wing it in the Premier League because you will get found out. You absolutely will I mean, get found out. It seems strange, doesn't it? that they upset fans so much getting rid of Grady Diangana, who was that promising youth prospect that the fans really would have got behind this season if he'd played. Get rid of him for 18 million and then bring in another player who, admittedly, he's probably closer to the finished article. He's four or five years older than Grady Diangana was and four or five years further along with his development but it seems strange to make that switch to go, well, we need this, we need this 18 million pound for this player to strengthen our defence and then you go and spend it on someone who is ultimately very similar. Well, West Ham need bodies, I think. By the oh, yeah, of smallest it. club in the Premier League at the moment. They need bodies. Um, you know, you look at Burnley as well. I mean, the fans there are really upset about the fact that they've not made any signings and it's not even the quality of signings. It's just bodies through the door. Um, we're talking about the amount of games that clubs have to play now. You know, you're talking about the amount of games in the um, League Cup. We're already into the fourth round, the quarterfinals already um, taking mm -hmm. place. And what are we now? Mid-October, not even that. So, you know, the amount of games that need to be played, um, there'll be FA Cup games coming up soon towards uh, the winter, just after Christmas, there'll be FA Cup games. Um, obviously, the, there's the Premier League schedule. So the amount of football that's being played by these players, inevitably, you're going to get suspensions, you're going to get injuries. 
And it's just simply, they need bodies through the door. Now, they need enough players to facilitate a squad, West Ham United. And if they've got a squad full of 15 wingers, that doesn't really matter. The Premier League don't care. When you submit your final squad for the Premier (laughs) League for the rest of the season, you can have as many goalkeepers in there or as many strikers in there as you want. But it's, it's squad management. And you just wonder why David Moyes doesn't stand up for himself a bit more. Maybe he does. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe he is under the thumb by these owners. Who knows? But David Moyes will probably look at this sign and think, well, Ben Rama, you're not going to turn him down. Even if you have got five wingers already on your books, you're not going to turn him down because he's such a good player. And he's proven that in the championship over the last season or so. But the key is at the back for West Ham and everyone knows it. And every other fan of every other Premier League club knows it as well. So it's just frustrating if you're a Hammers fan. Why can't those at the top of the club see where the money needs to be spent? Now, if you can afford 18 million on Ben Rama, then you should be able to afford 18 million on a decent championship centre-back who might come in and do the job for you or even a, a, a centre-back from one of the lesser European leagues because you can, you can pick up those bargains. But the problem is if you've got no scouting network, if you've got no director of football, if you've got no discernible style of play, it's very much lucky dip. You're putting your hand into the pot and you don't know what you're going to pull out. You know, if you pull out, say, Ben Rama, he might be a rabbit. He might be absolutely brilliant. Or, you know, you never know, it might be a completely busted flush. So that's the problem with West Ham. It feels like every transfer they make is a risk. And it almost feels like, like I mentioned, with the Socek signing, that was more luck than judgment. I can't imagine that West Ham looked at Socek and went, oh, you know, he's a he's he's going to be our saviour to keep us up. It was very much probably, oh, what what do the statistics say? What mm. does football managers say? Because that's how scouting's done nowadays. It's done on computers. It's done on um, on data. Uh, and, and, you know, it just feels that West Ham are, are behind the eight ball. They're, they're behind the pack. Mm. They're behind the trends in terms of the transfer market in the Premier League as it is right now. And the problem is that gap is only going to grow bigger unless they sort themselves out because the transfer market, despite the coronavirus pandemic, saw £1.2 billion spent on players up until... The, uh, the 5th of October. And now, of course, we've still got four or five days to go until the domestic deadline shuts. And we could see that figure rise even more. So, yeah, it just feels that West Ham are behind the times and you can't afford to be behind the times in the Premier League because you will be left in the dust. I did hear from our reliable West Ham source, XWHU employee, that David Sullivan, given the success of Suchek and given the success of Kufal, who obviously came in, at the end of the transfer window, another Czech player, even though he's only played one game, but he looked pretty decent in that game, uh, then instructed his team to go and look at other Czech players. Because he was like, well, this is working. <laughs> These yeah. Czech all guys Czech are pretty must good. Be great. <laughs> yeah, it must yeah. all. We had... why, are we, why are we not surprised by that? Yeah, I know. It, it Thomas, just... <laughs> Thomas Suchek go th- goes through his contact book and just sends a group text to all does he want to come play for West Ham? Yeah. Have you got any mates? Anyone on fancy a game of five aside? Ridiculous. Yeah, you're gonna um, be called you're gonna be called Sparta Hammers by the end of yeah. the season. You know, a new marketing change. <laughs> it is frustrating as a West Ham fan. Very frustrating. And I think the need for, I mean, I don't know where these seven wingers are. I can't think of seven wingers in the team, particularly with Felipe Anderson leaving on loan to Porto. So it is I mean, we need strength everywhere. Uh, instantly you mentioned Josh King as well. Everton apparently interested in him now. A player that Marley could do a job somewhere in the Premier League, it feels like. It feels like someone's going to get a bargain bringing him in. Uh, does it? I don't know. <laughs> I thought it did. <laughs> I don't know about Josh King. I'd, I just don't understand what he is and what he brings to a team. I don't understand, is he a left winger? Is he a striker? Can he play up front on his own? 
I don't think he can. I don't. Th- I don't think he plays up front on his own very, very well. I think if you play him on the left wing, he's sort of less involved in the game and doesn't score as many goals as as people might think. Um, oh, Thirteen million's not much, is it? In the in the current day, and it is expected that someone's gonna take him from the championship. But I just don't get the. I don't get what he is. I just don't understand. Why you'd think he's better than, say, I mean, who've Everton got on the bench? The um, that Bernard, the winger. He look, he looks all right. What's wrong with him? Um, he's a left winger. Sigurdsson can't get in that team at the minute. Uh, Iwobi's still there. I mean, we've talked about Iwobi before. I don't think he's the best player, but still, he was thirty million a year ago. So, is he not worth sticking with and in and not bringing in uh, King? But. They're probably going to use him as a backup to to Calvert Lewin with Moyes Keane leaving, but does he score enough? I'm I'm not really sure about the whole move, but I expect him to to be somewhere um, other than Bournemouth come come the end of the domestic window. So yeah, if someone wants to take a chance at him, uh, I'm I'm here to be proved wrong. I I just don't really understand. I don't think he's a top top level player, um, and I haven't for a couple of years. I think he's. He had that really good season a few years ago. I think he got like 14 goals or something like that. And since then, I think he scored about six and four in the Premier League and something like those kinds of numbers. And it's just like, I feel like people remember him for that really good season that he had. Mm. Um, and it's not that, that was almost like an exception to the to the rule of how good a player is because I just don't really buy into what he what he brings to a football team. I think Callum Wilson was the one from, from the Bournemouth team who, who people should have been queuing up to get and luckily for me Newcastle went in and, and sniped him pretty quickly. So um yeah, I don't really buy the Josh, Josh King hype, if I'm honest. There you go. That's Marley on my chips. Uh, let's move to Manchester <laughs> City instead, where apparently Antonio Conte is after Sergio Aguero. He wants to bring him into Inter Milan. He's out of contract at City next season. So we'll be looking at a summer transfer, probably. You'd think, though, Niall, that if City were willing to let Sergio Aguero go a year before the end of his contract, that next level, that new generation of striker would probably have been bought in already, wouldn't you? Is that not Gabriel Jesus? Is it? Well, that's the big question, I suppose, isn't it? That's the question that City fans seem so unsure on. The reason they seem so unsure is because Aguero's been there from the moment they really started to get successful and he's been an ever-present and he's been brilliant and he's been one of the best Premier League strikers that I can remember. Arguably one of the best Premier League strikers of all time. Certainly Manchester City's best ever goal scorer. There's no doubt about that. And I think that when someone of that stature leaves, it's almost inevitable that whoever comes in to replace them is never going to get the same plaudits or even the same opportunity that their predecessor got and I think that's the same with Gabriel Jesus now there are question marks from City fans around Jesus and I think that that's understandable because they watch a lot more of him than I do but from what I've seen of him he's not a bad striker his record is absolutely brilliant his Manchester City record of goals to game is good I just feel that Maybe that there is something about Jesus which is slightly missing compared to Aguero. I'm not really sure what that is. I don't know whether that's positioning or the fear factor. I think that might be it, to be fair. You know, when Sergio Aguero is on the team sheet... Is he one of the best strikers in the Premier League? Is he one of the best strikers in Europe, more to the point? Because that's what Manchester City need. If they're to fulfil their aspirations, they need to have one of the best strikers in Europe as the focal point of their attack. And he doesn't feel like... I mean. 
it's unfair to judge him now, but it doesn't feel like he's there yet. OK, so if we go in between us, the top five strikers in the Premier League, we'll go currently, if we go on form, I think we'd all agree, Kane, Calvert-Lewin, Ings, Vardy. That's four, and I can't think of a fifth. So I don't know about you guys. Aubameyang, you might put uh, Son in there, even though he's slightly more a wide player. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd count. I mean, you could even say that about Aubameyang because he plays out wide left now, doesn't he, for yeah. Arsenal? So, I mean, is Jesus in there? I mean, if, Aguero, if we're not including Aguero in this list of top five, I presume he's not playing. I mean, Jesus, would he be in there? I just think maybe because he, he doesn't, he doesn't play regularly enough or he doesn't score enough goals maybe, but his record's great. I mean, I, I find it strange to hear myself saying maybe Jesus doesn't score enough goals because for any other club, he'll be considered a top, top striker. I just think the bar has been set so high by Sergio Aguero. And let's not forget as well, we've got uh, young Liam Delap coming through as well for Manchester City who seems to have scored goals for fun in the youth leagues and for the academy. He's only 17 um, and look at the way Mason Greenwood's kind of progressed to the Manchester United first team. And it just, just it does just show that the quality down there in the academies is there if you can get the right player. Um, and Liam Delap could learn loads off of Jesus and even Aguero. So maybe that is the ne next progression naturally to have um, someone like Gabriel Jesus and Liam Delap. Or they just go out and bust the bank for Erling Haaland in the next couple mm -hmm. of seasons because... You know, his stock is only going to rise. He's got a hat-trick for Norway at the weekend, his first international hat-trick. They beat Romania by four goals to nil. So um, he's been brilliant since he arrived at Borussia Dortmund. Uh, and obviously, he's got a history with Manchester City with his father playing there. And uh, he was born in the UK and he's been pictured wearing Manchester City shirts in the past. So there's no reason why Manchester City can't go out and buy... Erling Haaland I think that the thing is is what we've spoken about on the podcast before and we got some stick for it by the way which I thought was a bit uncalled for about Manchester City spending loads of money on defenders which is a fact by the way it's an absolute yeah. fact they've spent loads of money on defenders so I find it absolutely bizarre that someone can come in and suggest that we're kind of twisting anyone's words there it's a fact Manchester United uh, Manchester City haven't spent big on a striker in a long time or even in my memory, I can't remember them spending more than 50 million on a striker. So if they go in and spend 60, 70, 80, 90 on Erling Haaland, maybe that is the, the tailor-made replacement for Sergio Aguero. But then again, does that make Gabriel Jesus the senior player? Because Erling Haaland, again, is such a tender age and so young. But again, we, we, we don't know. Sergio, Aguero was, think, 23 or 24 when he came into the club. And uh, Gabriel Jesus is just getting up to that age now. So maybe that is is the natural natural way to go. It does tend to be the way City do things is they hang on to their key players until their contracts expire. And then kind of as a reward, we saw it with Vinny Company, we saw it with David Silva. They're let leave on a free so they can go and get their dream move elsewhere. So it seems unlikely that City would think about selling Aguero to Inter Milan with one year remaining on his contract. Another potential exit at Manchester City could be... Pep Guardiola, though, Marley. There are rumours at the moment about the next potential managerial role for Mauricio Pochettino and both Manchester clubs reportedly considering bringing in Pochettino as a replacement for their current managers. I mean, let's start with Manchester City because Pep Guardiola seems like he's this untouchable figure. He's beyond reproach. You can't imagine him being replaced by anyone. But yet, here we are, Manchester City supposedly, looking at Pochettino as a replacement. I guess it shows maybe that the city powers that be are 
losing a little bit of patience with the performance this season and the tail end of last season. I don't think there's any any suggestion that Guardiola is going to be sacked. Um, I think just the longer Pochettino's out of work, um, they may be thinking about if Guardiola wants to wants to leave because um, he doesn't sign long term contracts. So there's always that that um, question of whether he's he's gonna fancy it uh, for another couple of years or whatever. You know, at any at any point he might say this is my last season, and then you've you're sort of stuck with the with the uh, the massive task of replacing him. Um, but the one thing I'm only I'm surprised about is is Pochettino still out of work after eleven months. Um, I thought he'd he'd be straight back in. I thought he'd probably be uh, taking over from Solskjaer at some point at Man United in the in that sort of tricky period he had sort of around the turn of the year. Um, I thought he'd be in the dugout at, at Old Trafford pretty quickly, and now things aren't quite going that well at Man United. I think. He, I think he's almost like the Grim Reaper. Like he's just lurking in the background, waiting for somebody to get sacked, and then he's just gonna just walk <laughs> straight in there. And it'll be like, as long as he's out of work, owners are always gonna be like, well, if we sack him, could we get Pochettino? And it's like the door's wide open because mm. yes, he's there. He's he's um, he's dying to get back into work. I think he's pretty desperate to come back to the Premier League in particular. So you look at them top jobs that that could be available, and you're looking at Man United in the short term, and you're possibly looking at City in a little bit of a more of a mid to long term, and you're saying it's it's almost like who blinks first, and for me that always looks like it's going to be Man United because they're much more reactionary to anything than Man City. Man City have spent years and years getting uh, building the infrastructure of the club to then attract Guardiola. They've got his his mates in the boardroom. Uh, Soriano and Bigiristain, they're basically Manchester, uh, they're basically like Barcelona in Man City blue because they're they've rebuilt that structure that worked so well there, and um, everything's kind of similar. They just uh, happen to be based in Manchester rather than sunny Barcelona, so it's one of them, uh, one of the things where why, why would you sort of just disrupt all that by by um, sort of allowing him to leave if if he wanted to and. The the results aren't bad, by any means. They've had a couple of couple of little blips, but I very very much doubt they're ever even going to consider uh, replacing him when it's such a a task. And it's almost like, as well with Pochettino, it's like coming in after Guardiola is would be such a a hard job to do. It's almost like replacing replacing Ferguson at at, um, at Man United in terms of the impact yeah. he had on the club. Um, so I can't see them them blinking, but I can see Man United saying, "Well, you know, Mourinho didn't work, Van Gaal didn't work, but it's definitely got to be a Pochettino. He's he's got to be the answer to all our our problems." And then the the similar cycle will happen again, and they they won't back him how he wants, and they'll end up sacking him in a couple of years, and the Man United cycle will continue until something changes at board level. But we'll see what they do. But I can see them, you know, pulling the trigger on Solskjaer if things don't improve pretty quickly and then uh, having a go at Poch. The Manchester City link for Pochettino does seem a little bit far-fetched. I mean, as you say, Marley, Pep Guardiola is one of those managers that is so hard to replace and it just, it, it doesn't get sacked. Nobody sacks Guardiola. But there were rumours this weekend, particularly Ed Woodward apparently saying that he would consider 
a change. I don't know where these rumours came from, whether they were direct quotes or not, but he would consider a change at Manchester United if results didn't improve. It's been a torrid start to the season for them. Pochettino and Manchester United again, particularly considering that those clauses in Pochettino's contracts where he had to pay back some of the fee he got from Spurs if he took a job within 12 months. There's only four weeks left of that now and he's free to go where he wants and keep the money. It kind of does feel like certain pieces of a jigsaw are coming together. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I do think that Manchester United and Pochettino is a link that hasn't gone away for even before he was kind of sacked from Spurs. I think that there were question marks over Mourinho's future and whether Pochettino would be the man to go in and replace Jose Mourinho. In the end, they opted for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and uh, I think when you are Manchester United manager the pressure is so high that you are only a few bad results away from your job being under fire and I think that that's the case for Jose uh, that's the case for Solskjaer and I think that unless you are the likes of Alex Ferguson where you've built up this prestige and this legacy and 26 years of consistent success and consistent results the question marks aren't ever going to be there but while Solskjaer is still a relatively inexperienced manager you know, uh, and hasn't delivered anything in terms of trophies or success for Manchester United, I think that there always is going to be that lingering doubt amongst some whether he's good enough to do the job. Now, whether that's fair or not is another question, but Maurizio Pochettino, the longer he is out of work, as you mentioned, the the larger this, the, the longer this um, rumour is going to rumble on. And I think on the podcast the other day when you, Steve and Marley were talking about possible free agents, I think Marley picked Mandzukic and Steve picked Jack Wilshere, I was sat listening to that podcast thinking, Pochettino, no one said Pochettino. <laughs> I know he's not a player, but he's certainly a free agent. And, you know, he is considered as one of the top managers in Europe, despite the fact that Tottenham never won anything under his stewardship. But the way he kind of managed to consistently keep Tottenham performing at the top end of the Premier League table, oversaw the, the club moving into a new stadium, got them to their first Champions League final ever, made them Champions League regulars. I think that really is kind of uh, where his stock has come from, whereas all Solskjaer has kind of got is that stigma around him that, oh, he got Cardiff relegated and won a Norwegian Farmers League. So I think that's the kind of where the links are coming from. Pochettino knows the Premier League. He's got a philosophy. He's got a style. I mean, reports claim that Ed Woodward is a really big fan of Pochettino. So, I mean, we'll have to wait and see, but it does feel almost slightly inevitable that we will see Maurizio Pochettino involved with Manchester United in some way in the future, particularly whilst Jose Mourinho is still doing a good job at Spurs. So any sort of blockbuster return or homecoming for Pochettino in North London seems very unlikely at this moment in time. You know, the longer things go on for Pochettino being out of work and the longer things continue to be turbulent for Solskjaer I think that link is always going to be there it'll be interesting to see where his next job does come from because as you say a manager like Mauricio Pochettino it's a real surprise that he's been out of the game for so long but that is it for today's Football Social Daily thank you very much for listening cheers Niall cheers Jim cheers Marley cheers guys don't forget we are in the international break right now but there is plenty of news on your team whoever you support over at the website sports-social.co.uk you can also listen to the latest news on your team just by asking your smart speaker open sports social and we'll see you next time tomorrow for football social daily to hear the latest premier league news for your team just ask open sports social It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. 
So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.